0: Hello and good evening everybody, only positivity here, no coffee today, it is the evening so I don't want to be up all night, but ready to kick off podcast number 53 on this playlist that I'm looking to launch called Elevated Thoughts. So before diving into the topic and everything like that for today, let's go ahead and start with the level set. So as I endeavor upon pursuing knowledge and life experience in this next phase of life through fitness, photography, reading, traveling, Cannabis, many more things. Um, One habit that I've really formed is deep dives into some of um, the TV shows and the movies that I like, right? So I obviously watch some TV that's more mind numbing, right? And I can put in the background, but I love watching artistic things. Um, I find it so intriguing how different directors make their thoughts come to life in a movie through dialogue and things of that sort. And it's just a huge team uh, that comes together. My voice is correct. So a huge team that comes together when, um, embarking upon any any production so you know oftentimes there's um, a storyline that is fictional, right but every story takes place in a time period and the time period has to be accurate and the the artifacts and the surroundings have to be accurate for it to be believable right so I love diving into those things because that brings more um, impactful storylines and it makes it a little bit more real right so um you know we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh talk about uh the 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 tv show that i am gonna go into and we went through part one already but before we do that let's go and start with the story so um you know and even before that before i get into that story i got me a nice sparkling bitch from trader joe's um it is a blueberry lemonade flavor so i'm gonna go ahead and crack that bitch open um so I find myself reminiscing a lot these days, right? You got a little bit more time on your hands um, to just sit with your thoughts and whatnot. Not as much noise in life, right? So I find myself reminiscing a lot on my college days. I had a lot of fun in college. Um, I met a lot of great people that I'm still best friends with today. Um, But I also met a lot of people that were interesting characters that I don't really keep in touch with uh, today either, right? So one particular guy uh, that comes to mind is one of my buddies, Old roommates, right? So, I, um, two of my best friends were my roommates for college and even after college. Um, and when I first met them, they had been rooming with this other dude, all right? And, you know, when I had initially met this guy, I was open minded, whatever, but I slowly began to realize, you know, this dude was a bit of a leech, right? He just wanted to, um, kind of was kind of all about himself, really only wanted to, um, hang out with you if there was some benefit in it for him, right? No, no qualms, right? We all meet people like this, so I'm not worried about it really. So, um, what I didn't know was that um you could live outside of the dorms um your freshman year of college, right so they 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 make it seem like it's a mandate for new incoming freshmen to live on campus but you know, my buddies had had found a way out of that but I, I wasn't as clever I guess so they were living with this other guy another part of living in the dorms is you get a meal plan, right so I, I don't know I don't I don't know where people think of this, but this particular guy had thought that um my meal plan was free, right? Which is not the case. I pay for that, right? In addition to living in the dorms. So in any case, what happened is I always had class. I'm not a breakfast person, so I always had class um from like 12 to 3 30 or 4 Monday through Thursday. Um, you know, I was able to set it up that way. I was in this program that allowed me to have first dibs on classes. So I was able to just set up my schedule um, in a very simplistic manner and you know it wasn't all about laziness part of it was because i don't like waking up early um even though i do now but uh i also it also allowed me to work either from like 8 a.m to 12 pm or um from 4 p.m onwards right so that's how i got made a lot of my connections and I ended up landing jobs so in any case long story short i had so i would, I would show up to the student center usually around um, 11 30. Um, 11 o'clock to eat something, right, Uh, before I embark upon this like four-hour block of classes that I have. So what would tend to happen is as I would approach the student center and start ordering my food, this guy would come out of the woodwork. Like I swear he would spawn there and he would be like, hey dude, can I just get like a like an orange juice or a milk? And sometimes he would ask me to get him like a meal. And you know me, like so I would... I don't like when people are are, are going hungry, right? And I think maybe it's like an Indian thing and food is like our love language. I I think everyone should eat, right? And if I can give you some food, fine. But then it became like a routine thing and I was like, no, 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 no more. So one particular day I remember, and I was discussing this with my fiance the other day, um, I had stayed up all night, right? I pulled an all-nighter and I was on my way to this final. But I stopped by the student center to get a quick bite to eat because I knew I couldn't go to this uh, final on an empty stomach, right? So I order like pancakes uh, and um, like some bacon and sausage links and things like that. And I sit down to eat, right? And lo and behold, my dude spawns out of the woodwork. And I find a corner, right? I, I'm not trying to be bothered. So I'm in a corner by myself at a table that is like a one-person table. Yet he pulls up a chair, comes and sits down. Um, he asks me to get food. I'm like, dude, you know what, man? I'm in a rush. I can't really go up and order you more food or anything like that. And... Um, yeah, so, you know, no, not today, bro. But he sits down anyway and keeps talking to me, okay? So in any case, he sits down, and he's talking to me, and I'm just frustrated that he's talking to me even, right? Because I am not trying to talk to him right now. Focus on my final. I've been up all night. Anyway, so I'm, I'm a guy who likes sauces, right? So I got my ketchup with me for the, the bacon and the sausage links, and then I have syrup. I have a little cup of syrup with me for the for the pancakes. So, um, right, like I said, Bacon, sausage, links, ketchup, uh, syrup, pancakes, right? So that's logical. So this guy's just talking. He's just, he just won't shut up. He's just talking, he's just talking, he's just talking. And I'm just, like, frustrated. And I'm trying not to look at him even while I while I eat. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping he gets the message. Just leave me alone. So in any case, I'm just, like, kind of frustrated. So I, I'm cutting up my pancakes furiously. And I dip it into the ketchup and put it in my mouth. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he even looks. He's like, dude, did you just dip your pancakes and ketchup and i'm like bro leave me alone (laughs) you know what i mean and i think he got the the message after that i was just really frustrated um tired from this whole night of studying um he he, ate me he ended up staying finished up the meal with me but i was like bro like just like just like like, tone it down for a second man like it's all good so in any case um a lot of funny stories happen like that um in college and and when when you're running low on sleep or energy or anything like that so um yeah know definitely an interesting story there so we'll come back we'll come back to the topic for today and um you know last last podcast or a couple podcasts ago we went through peaky blinders season one okay and then we're going to go through season two today so at the end of season um one a couple things to notice right so tommy shelby ends up killing billy kimber and he's the he's now the third largest racetrack pitch owner in england and if you recall he told Polly on the day that he was gonna, you know, take over Billy Kimber that there was gonna be no need for prayers or anything like that because after today they were gonna be set, right? And there is about five more seasons, right? So there, it obviously wasn't, it wasn't it, right? There was, there was more for him. So um, this season is gonna be about his um, continued rise, right? He um, can't really sit still. He can't just enjoy the successes that he has. There always has to be a new opponent for Tommy Shelby, right? So we're gonna go through um, some of the protagonists, antagonists, and we're just gonna walk through this season episode by episode. So a bit of a longer podcast um, for those of for my Pinky Blinder fans out there, um, feel free to grab some coffee or write some whiskey, um, and you know just have a listen. Um, you know I I love the rhetoric on this show. I love talking about it. I love diving into the historical components of it as well as the storyline. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So in episode one, um, it ends with a gunshot, right? And you think Inspector Campbell is shooting Grace, right? But it actually is the exact opposite. So you find out that the gunshot at the end of season one wasn't Inspector Campbell shooting Grace. It was actually Grace shooting Inspector Campbell in the leg. And now he's crippled, right? He has a bullet in his, his leg and he's walking with his wolf head cane. She shoots him. She boards the train. She's gone. So now, season two takes place two years later. So I believe the first season took place in 1919. We're in 1921 here. So the, the season starts with two women dressed in all black. And they're walking um, one black stroller each. Now, it's one of those old-school strollers. Um, with the huge wired wheels. The basket is facing you. They actually kind of make strollers like that now, the really expensive ones. And they're approaching the garrison. They're approaching the Peaky Blinders bar. Um, and then they leave the strollers... At the front of the garrison and they start running away and you start you notice something's up there as soon as you see these ladies walking in all black probably some symbolism there right so the the strollers explode and they totally destroy the garrison and all the while the piggy blinders are at a funeral And they are at the funeral of Freddie Thorne. And that was Ada's husband or the father of um, their child, right? So, you know, Ada loved him. Um, Him and Tommy were best friends since since childhood. And um, Freddie actually died of pestilence, right? Um, It was a disease. And Tommy says a few words uh, at his funeral. And he says, I promised Freddie Thorne that I would say a few words if he died before me. And um, in the end, it wasn't revolution or war that took Freddie. It was pestilence. And then Tommy has a few words with Ada after the funeral. He asked her, hey, look, are you going to come back to Birmingham? So she had moved to um, London, I believe, right? She was, like, totally ashamed of being a Shelby at this point um, because of all the, you know, the killings and the shootings and the cuttings and the, um, how do I put it, the corruption that's associated with the Shelby family, right? So... Um, you can tell at the same time that Tommy's gained some status, right? He has chauffeurs and nice cars. He's dressing better. Essentially, they control Birmingham, right? And um, Tom, Tommy wants Ada to come back because he's planning an expansion, and it can be dangerous to be a Shelby in London uh, during this expansion. And when, when you recall, right, like I said again, when he took over Billy Kimber in season, at the end of season one, he said he was done, right? No need for prayers. But once again, at the beginning of the season, you see that he's ready to embark upon a new campaign. And there's some real signs of PSD, uh, PTSD Sorry, right there with you. Um, he just can't sit still, right? Because that's when everything catches up to you. That's when all the, the previous acts and the trauma of war will catch up to you. So a man comes up to the blinders at the funeral and lets them know, hey, look, the pub's been blown up. And they immediately, you know, cut it all off. They go back to the garrison, took a look at the damage. So Polly is starting to wander through the, the bar. And, you know, it's kind of dangerous to do that because the structure isn't sound at this point. But she notices that there is green confetti all over the place. Right. And this is a symbol, you know, an Irish symbol. So Tommy heads over to a, a well-known Irish pub and there's this long-standing hatred between the English and the Irish, right? And I think all everyone in the UK, right? There's there's hatred between um, Scottish people and English, Scottish and Irish, uh, English and Irish. You know, it's all over the place. Um, so anyway, he goes to this this pub. I believe it's called the Black Lion, and they won't even take his money, right? They're just like, we don't accept that coin here. Um, this is an Irish pub, and a young boy comes in and he goes, you know, who? Which one of you is the Peaky Blinder devil? And, um, essentially Tommy follows this boy through like, um, you know, the back, the back passages of, uh, the watery lane and everything like that. And they put, uh, he goes to a slaughterhouse and these guys put a bag over his head and he knows it's happening. He's not worried about it. And, um, there's a meeting that occurs, right? So before we jump into the meeting, Polly and John are having an exchange, right? And you can tell that John wants a little bit more leadership in the family, and he doesn't want to take as many risks. He's like, look, we're rich. Why do we need to do um, anything more? And Polly's like, hey, look, you're going to step up when London happens. You need to be the guy with the answers, not the guy asking questions. So we go back to the meeting, right? So Tommy's in there, and there's a woman and a man, two Ar- two Irish people, and Tommy starts being sarcastic right away, right? hes You can tell he's just not scared. Um, everyone in the room is getting pissed off. So the man slides over, puts a gun to Tommy's head, um, and Tommy does a real hardcore power move, and he tells them all this information about themselves, right? He knows their names. He knows um, their kids' names. He knows where their kids go to school, and this puts some fear in the lady, right? So if they shoot Tommy right now, his the kids are going to die. Right. Um, So Tommy researches his enemies. Right. He 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 does a full background inspection on anyone he goes into business with, um, which is some really good due diligence on his part. So they don't really tell you what the meeting is all about. But Tommy comes out of the meeting pissed. He's throwing his jacket around um, and apparently he has to kill somebody. But we don't know who those people are. Right. That he just met with or. What they represent, or why they need this man killed at this point, right? Or even why Tommy has to be the one to do it. So Tommy heads back to his office, and you get you get another symbol of his rise in status. So he has his own office now, not not at the betting shop. Everything's mahogany. It's a very nice office. There's decanters everywhere. It's a classy set of leather chairs. And then he goes to meet with Moss. Okay, so he tells Moss to keep his coppers out of a certain area that night probably because he plans to kill somebody. And then Moss also lets Tommy know at that time that Inspector Campbell is coming back to the city. Moss says, hey, look, there's nothing to worry about, though. He's probably, you know, he's like been promoted, so he probably doesn't want to deal with us, right? Um, But that promotion is kind of scary because it gives Inspector Campbell more power. um, And we know he's a corrupt guy, right? He's very, very corrupt um, and will do anything vindictive to Tommy because of this whole grace thing. So we flash forward to a scene where there's like this erratic inmate in prison. It's in a prison cell. And he's about to be hung and these guards are restraining him. He's, he's screaming. He's like, I demand to speak to a representative of his majesty, the king. And he's just screaming. He's screaming. He's un, he's inconsolable. And apparently this man who's about to be hung has committed a murder that was shit, sanctioned by the British British Secret Intelligence Service. He says that, you know, there's a man with a bullet in his right leg and a wolf head cane who said that he would get a last minute pardon before the execution. And that execution has not materialized, right? So it was Inspector Campbell who sanctioned this murder and said, hey, look, don't worry about it. Right before um, you're going to hang, there's going to be a last minute pardon. And it hasn't happened. And neither did um, Inspector Campbell have the intention of giving that pardon, right? So another sign here that Campbell is corrupt as hell, right? He tells a governor who's like, hey, look, this guy is saying that there's a man with a wolf head cane, and he's looking at Inspector Campbell's cane, right? Who said he was gonna get a pardon and it hasn't materialized and Inspector Campbell tells the governor, Look, if you ever speak of this again, I know where you live, right? Do your job. Don't worry about it. So we flash forward to a scene um, where we see Arthur um, on his own for the first time in season two. And he's jumping rope, and Finn has come to like summon him, right? Hey, look, we have a meeting. Come on. And he's jumping rope, and he can't, he pretty much is tuning Finn out. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping, and he stops. And he says 2,000, meaning that he just jump rope 2,000 times, right? And you can tell in this season that Arthur has this monster inside of him that's coming out. Also, Finn is a lot older now. In season one, he was like a boy. And now he looks like he's 15 or something, or, you know, like 20 even. He's like a young man. So in any case, there's a family meeting. Everyone's waiting for Tommy. And as they wait, um, John makes an announcement. Right, and Esme's on the stairs. You can tell they were in cahoots about it. Obviously, they're married, so they talked about it. And he says, "Hey, look, when did we vote on this expansion into London?" He says, "You know, the Shelby Company's bringing in a lot of money now, so why the need to stir up any trouble?" And to them, London seems like this like distant land where. You know, people are doing different types of drugs. You know, there's it's just a different, different place for them, right? Because it's more of a forward-thinking place. People are doing different types of drugs, cocaine. There's clubs out there where people are dancing, which is not a thing that happens. It's only pubs in Birmingham, right? So we see another theme here, where Esme is constantly fighting with John to avoid danger, right? He's like, I want to see my kids grow up and things like that. And John is a piggy blinder, right? So he's always going to be in the bullshit and. Esme tries to pull him out, which is a theme of a lot of the new ladies that come into the Shelby family. They try to make their men better, but they end up making their own lives worse, right? Um, But what Esme does, which is not, which she doesn't understand fully, is that when she persuades John to go against the family, she puts him on an island by himself, right? The protection comes from Tommy Shelby and the whole family being together, but. If you isolate one of them, they'll pick them off, right? So in any case, Esme, Esme is a gypsy. She's a true gypsy. She wants to live in a caravan. She wants to roam the country. She's from that Lee family where Johnny Dogs is from. But in any case, Polly and Tommy have a little exchange in the betting shop. And um, Tommy's looking to withdraw some money from the safe. And Polly has changed uh, the, the, the code. And Tommy can't get any money out for his, you know, endeavor that he's about to embark upon. But before Polly opens the, the safe, he, she wants to know what's going on and what happened at the pub. And then Tommy says, you know, don't worry about it. It's Irish business. It's better that no one knows. And then he goes, as far as London goes, tomorrow's new market, all the London bosses are going to be at the races and the city is going to be empty, right? So... We talk about some of the bosses like Sabini and Alfie Solomons. They're going to be at the races, right? So they're not going to be at their clubs in London. It's a perfect time for Tommy to go ahead and send a message if he needs to. He says, you know, the Italian gangs, the Jewish gangs, they've been at war for six months. And Tommy wants to show his hand and get in the game. And maybe he can take sides with the Jews in Camden Town. So then we go forward to another scene, right? She opens up the safe Tommy gets his money um and we flash forward to a scene where Tommy is having sex with Lizzie right um she's a prostitute um in season one I believe she was looking to marry John but she John didn't know that um she was uh, was Tommy's uh like customer right that Tommy was going to her and whatnot I think that happened in season one so Lizzie says look you know Just once, I wish you wouldn't pay me, right? And when they're having sex, like they're doing it like doggy style, and Tommy has her bent over a desk, and you can tell his mind is elsewhere. He's not focused on it. And she goes, hey, look, just once, I wish you wouldn't pay me, like we were normal human beings. And this just is another symbol that Tommy pays for what he wants in this world, right? Money is the currency. Money is the only thing that matters, so we flash forward to another scene. Aunt Pole is going to a fortune teller in the Black Patch, and she wants to find out, you know, the whereabouts of her two children that were taken from her. And it shows you right there that the the Shelby's are true gypsies at heart, right? They go to a fortune teller, um, and and this is a time a very a very tough time, you know. It's like the industrial age. Um, there's there's um. You know, a lot of poor people around um, with with very low incomes, um, living just day to day. And in these times, people lean on these mythical things, right? So in any case, the fortune teller tells uh, Polly that um, one of her children, her daughter is dead. And then Polly comes out just like hysterical at the thought of her daughter being dead. And we'll talk about, you know, how her daughter was taken from her and her kids are taken from her. So meanwhile, Tommy is at a factory, and he's scoping out the man he has to kill, right? The guy seems like a blacksmith, and at at this time, you still don't really know why Tommy has to kill this guy, but he he walks up to him, he says his name, shoots him in the head, and walks right off. Afterwards, Tommy goes to pick up Arthur and John in his nice, you know, posh car, Um, all the while Arthur is drinking this potion-like type substance. And it's something from the pharmacy that kind of keeps Arthur calm, right? Keeps his PTSD like at bay. And Tommy smells it and pours it out. He goes, hey, look, dude, Polly, I know she suggested this, but I need you fast, not slow. So John comes down and the Piggy Blinders are going on holiday, right? They're going to London. And then all the while, Polly's at the betting shop and Esme comes in. She says that the lady that Polly went to is a fake, the fortune teller. She just tells people what they already want to hear. So then, you know, Polly is like, what? How? You know, she's kind of like, how'd you hear about that? So Polly kind of like pins Esme up against a wall, puts a knife to her throat and says, hey, look, if you say anything about this, I'm going to cut you. And Esme says, I don't need a knife to, t- to prevent me from uh, keeping secrets, right? Um, it's a matter of honor. So, you know, you can tell Esme is kind of a G. She's a gangster, right? Um, so then the, the, we flash back to the, the Shelby boys, right? They're headed to London. Um, but first they have to bury the body that Tommy has sitting in the back seat. Um, he goes, hey, look, we've done a thousand of these in France. Um, like I said, they always mention the war. It shaped them, right? It, it turned them into who they are now. So... Um, They head over to London, and right away, you can tell it's different. You know, there's big buildings. Like I said, there's cocaine. There's nice lounges. Um, There's guys making out openly. Um, This is a time where homosexuality was very frowned upon, right? But you can tell that Tommy doesn't really care about those things. Um, A little bit more forward thinking. Um, There's jazz music, and they don't really—it's like the Rat Pack type of music, and they don't really understand what that is. They're like, what is that racket? And um, Tommy's like, that's what they call music these days. Um, there's another girl just straight up giving this dude a hand job in the Eden Club, right? Like, that's where that's Sabini's club. And then you find out, right, like I said, that it's Sabini's club. All of Subini's like, cousins and lieutenants are there, but the bosses aren't, right? Sabini's not there himself. They're at the races. So with gang territory, um, other gangs are supposed to have, like, a prior agreement before going into another gang's territory. So the bartender comes over and asks the Shelbys to leave. It says, hey, look, you guys are breaking, like, gang rules. You're not supposed to come south of the border without prior knowledge or consent. And then so they're talking, they're like, dude, we're just here. We're on holiday. We're just trying to enjoy ourselves. Um, And and the bartender's like, you're breaking rules, man. So out of nowhere, a bottle is thrown at the Shelby's table. And then they lose it, right? The three Shelby brothers lose it. They pretty much beat everyone's ass in the place. Um, And to me, it's really interesting how those three guys did all this. But, hey, Whatever. Um, you find out that's the real reason they came down, to kind of send a message. And because they went to Sabini's club, they're sending a message to Alfie um, Solomons. And we haven't met him yet, but he's a, on the Jewish side of town. And they're saying, hey, look, we can help you guys out in this war. So they could have either gone down, right, made friends with Sabini um, or fought them to show that they could be on the Jewish side. So, right, either way, it was probably a win-win for Tommy. And he's smart. You can't really deny that, right? He he th- he's forward-thinking. He's strategic. So let me go back. We flash forward to another scene with Inspector Campbell and Winston Churchill. Um, Inspector Campbell has a plan for Tommy Shelby, that's going to end in Tommy being killed after the task is completed. And then Tommy Tommy goes to sh- uh, Lizzie right at the end of the episode. He says, "Hey, close your eyes, and type something." So he's asking her to type an advertisement for a job posting as a secretary for Shelby Company Limited. And this is his funny way of asking Lizzie to be the secretary, right? Because he needs people who are smart, but can look the other way at times um, because, you know, he does a bunch of illegal shit. So the episode ends, ends with Polly showing a card to Tommy that is sent from Alfie Solomons in Camden Town saying, Let's break bread, right? That's kind of like a Jewish term for like let's meet, let's chat, let's talk it out. So Tommy's performance at Sabini's club what actually paid off in the end, right? And then at the at the end of the night or the end of the episode, Tommy's walking to his car, Sabini's men jump him, they're beating his ass to death, right? It's it's about to be over for Tommy Shelby. And at the last minute, when they're about to pull the trigger on the gun, Inspector Campbell intervenes with his police, right? And then at the same time, Sabini's men capture Ada in London, and they are it's looking like they're going to rape her, right? And that's how season, I mean, episode one ends. So let me take a sip of this real quick. All righty. So we go to season two, I mean, episode two. Um. So Tommy's all fucked up, right? He's bloodied up. He's headed to the hospital. Ada's in the car with Sabini's men, and they're kind of groping her, right? They're like ripping her clothes off and stuff. And then another car runs into the car that Ada is in, and it's the Peaky Blinders, right? Tommy always has an eye on Ada. His men are watching her house and everything like that. They shoot Sabini's men, and Ada goes free. Inspector Campbell visits Tommy in the hospital, and right away they have like a sarcastic interchange with each other, right? They hate each other. Tommy says, you know, I imagine being shot by a woman uh, hurts the same as being shot by a man. Just a bit more shameful. Referring to the bullet in his leg that Grace shot, right? And you can tell, as Tommy is um, as Tommy is being more and more sarcastic, Campbell's getting more and more pissed. Um, and then Tommy says, look, when I got shot, they gave me a medal. And you know Tommy got all these medals from being a war hero. And he's like, what do they give you? Pretty much, he's like this fucking wolfhead cane, right? So at, th- at the end of the day, Campbell says, he has witnesses that can easily send Tommy straight to the gallows for that murder he committed. And he says, Mr. Shelby, I own you. So after Campbell visits Tommy at the hospital, he knows he has to make haste on this deal with Alfie Solomon's to get things moving. Right? So essentially he is in no condition to leave the hospital, but he discharges himself. um, And he's still all fucked up. And he goes to Charlie's yard. Right. He says, Curly, I need you to take me to London. And Curly's like, it's a four day trip with this small little boat we have. But Tommy's like, I'll rest if you can drive the boat, Curly. So throughout the course of the trip, Tommy is healing at this rapid rate. And you can tell he's still not fully recovered by the time he reaches Alfie's Distillery. So now, Alfie is one of my favorite characters, uh, and Tom Hardy does a great job of playing this like sarcastic guy. He he pulls off the Jewish thing very well, um, and he's this like playful douchebag, but he will kill you, right? He's he's um, unpredictable. He's explosive, and um, he just says whatever comes to mind because he really has no consequences, right? So in any case, Tommy gets to this dist- distillery, and we finally meet Alfie Solomons, and right away. Alfie starts making gypsy jokes. Um trying to get under Tommy's skin, right? And they call um the workers in Alfie's distillery, even though they're making whiskey, they call them bakers, right? And they call white whiskey the white bread, the brown whiskey the brown bread. bread. So, um Tommy st- like starts snapping back at Alfie. You know, he's like, "Dude, you're losing this war with Sabini, so that's why I'm here to help you." And I don't want to ruin the scene because any exchange between Tommy and Alfie is really good, um, and they always have intense exchanges, and it's very well acted. They have good chemistry. So long story short, Alfie ends up pointing a gun at Tommy, and Tommy—you can tell—he's accepting. Right, he might die right now. A little bit of blood flows from his nose. They're both bluffing, right, until one—the other one caves, and Alfie ends up giving in, and they make a deal. Right, So they're going to come together and just kind of take over London and maybe get the Italians out, Sabini's folk. So Tommy leaves the distillery and we flash forward to a scene where Tommy runs into Ada. And then Tommy says he needs to buy her a house to move some money around. Right, He has a lot of cash coming in these days. And to diversify the portfolio, they need to buy a house. And Ada now has a gun to protect her if anyone comes after her again. And Tommy's like, they're going to come after you again. Just let us protect you. And they are both fucked up, right? Ada was beat up, too, from that last interchange, and so is Tommy. So Tommy's bought her a four-story house with eight bedrooms, and it just gives her the keys. And you can tell that business is booming for the blinders. Now, we flash forward to a scene where we meet Darby Sabini for the first time in the daylight, so the, so the police are meeting with Sabini, right? So he probably has a lot of policemen on his payroll. So he has them looking for Thomas Shelby, right? Sabini has to tell the coppers about Tommy's meeting with Alfie. And he's pissed that they didn't catch Tommy on the way to London. But the police can only really act if a crime is committed. So they're like, we can't really do much. So Sabini's like exploding off on them. He's like, pissed as fuck. He's like, get out of here. Voice cracks again. So um, Sabini is like, you know what? Fuck that. He sends his right-hand man to find Tommy Shelby and kill him. And you can tell, again, Sabini's an explosive guy. He gets pissed really fast. And this could be, you know, one of the things that actually is his downfall. Um, So after the scene with the cops, we flash to a scene where Polly wakes up. She's late for work. She's running to the betting shop. And everyone starts clapping, right? They start clapping at her. And Tommy, John, and Arthur have a surprise for her, and they tell her to get in the car, and they take her to this dope ass house in this nice neighborhood, give her the keys, and like this is yours. And then Polly gets emotional, right? Obviously, they've come up in the world. They're like, look at all this shit, um, coming from just probably living in caravans to, um, you know, having their own house. Like that's probably you know so unfathomable. So now, um. Tommy sits her down and he goes, hey, look, Esme told me about why you went to that psychic. And now Tommy's like, I have contacts in certain areas that can look into the old adoption records and we can find your kids. And if you think about this, Polly has been separated from her kids for almost, I don't know, probably 20 years. And it's probably so um, emotional for her to even think about seeing her kids again, right? So in any case, Tommy heads back to the office and he has received a letter from Grace, but he doesn't open it. He puts it in his pocket. He has Lizzie write a letter to Mr. Churchill about what Mr. Uh, sorry, Inspector Campbell is asking him to do. So it outlines Tommy's war record, something Churchill can appreciate because Winston Churchill fought um, in World War I. Um, and since Campbell didn't serve in the war, you know, Churchill and Shelby can relate on that. Now, He's asking Tommy's asking Winston Churchill that he be treated with respect in service to his country, right? He's gonna he's gonna again kill for his country. He's like, "Dude, I've done this before. Please treat me with respect." He also asked Tom the the king to give him an import export license so that his boxes won't be checked at the dock. So obviously, he he's trying to ship some contraband overseas and he needs the right for his um, boxes to not be checked. Now Churchill grants him this without any issue. He tells Campbell that of course I'm going to give him this, right? He served his country again and we're asking him to kill again on behalf of the crown and we're going to kill him afterwards. So they agreed to like this temporary license until the deed is done. So we flash forward to a scene where Tommy's headed over to a village and you see like a very young teenage boy and an even younger guy who are playing soccer in a field um tommy approaches the house and the mother comes out and tommy says he's from the birmingham council and what you find out is that the older of those two boys was polly's son and polly doesn't really know that i mean um, michael or his name is henry at the time um that's what his mom calls him you find out that he doesn't know the truth about how he was adopted um uh, he says, you know, I know the woman was very upset. Um, she couldn't cope. She had drug issues. And that's what he knows about his mom, right? So um, it's none of this is really true, right? And we'll find out why they were taken later. So Tommy hands Michael a card with Polly's number or his number and says, hey, look, she just wants to talk. You know, call that number when you're free. And, and his, his adoptive mother is furious. She's hysterical. She's like, go inside, whatever. Um, Because she doesn't want to, like, admit that, like, he's kind of been living a lie. So then we flash forward to a scene where um, Finn and Isaiah are boxing. So now Jeremiah is the preacher, right? His son is Isaiah. Um, So the Peaky Blinders, they do keep an eye on him. So all the while, Arthur is fighting somebody else. And Arthur goes into this fucking wild rage, and he's beating the shit out of this kid. And he beats him to death, right? And Arthur goes into this rage... And it takes like five or six guys to really hold him back. And this is his PTSD again coming to light. So Arthur beats his kid to death. So back at the betting shop, you know, Isaiah and Finn are sitting there. Like they're kind of like in the principal's office, right? They just have their heads down. It seems like they're in trouble. Now, Tommy says, hey, look, what happened? And Isaiah says, look, you know, it was a fair fight. Arthur just caught him with a good one. And you can tell that Isaiah is not family, so he's not going to say anything bad, right? He, 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 Tommy's testing them. And Finn goes, you know, Arthur's blown up a couple times lately. It's like he's not there in the head. Um, so then he he tells him to fuck off, really. And then Tommy goes to Arthur and he says, look, we're going to take care of that, that boy's family. And Arthur's like, dude, I'm losing control. You know, my mind is all over the place. Um, and he just can't keep it together anymore. And then... You know, to Arthur's surprise, there's a moment of silence when they're having this exchange. And Tommy just, like, exhales. He's like, dude, fuck off. And he starts yelling at him. He's like, we're not in France anymore. We've been home a long time. And he just kind of, like, tells him to shut the door on the war. And he has no um, sympathy for Arthur's uh, PTSD, right? No real way to get him help. Just kind of tells him, just, dude, stop. And then, you know, it got me thinking about how traumatizing World War I must have been. Now, we know by the time World War II came around, there was a little bit more of advanced weapon, but um, in World War One, it was still a lot of bolt-action rifles, and the closer you got to the other side or the the enemy, you there's probably some hand-to-hand combat, right? Fixed bayonets, you're probably stabbing people. Um, that type of war has a, probably a, a very different effect on somebody's psyche um, than maybe shooting someone from a distance. Not to diminish shooting someone right it's just I'm, I'm just thinking about you know like if i had to st- stab someone and like watch the life leave their body uh, that that would fuck me up big time so in any case inspector campbell we flashed to a scene where inspector campbell and moss are having lunch right they seem to be friends now and campbell goes hey i know you've been taking bribes from the uh the shelby family and I don't know why Moss does this, but he spits the sandwich out into his mouth and he brought a sandwich over for um, Inspector Cam and him, him to eat lunch. And then he just like spits it out in his hand, whatever. So we flash forward to a scene where um, Polly enters Tommy's office, right? And you can tell she's like nervous. She's anxious. She lights a cigarette. She, um, she's trying to calm down. And she plays this like frantic role very well. And then Tommy says, okay, look, I have the files of Michael and Anna Gray. And those are, you know, Polly's kids. There's one white folder, one black. Her daughter's dead, and that's why there's a black folder. Um, Polly takes it in. She's like, okay, no worries. And then um, he says, know, your daughter never settled. She kept running away, and she ended up in Australia, where she died of spring fever. But she says, look, Michael is alive. He's in England. And Tommy went to visit him. But he's like, look, the woman that Michael lives with and calls mom will not let him leave. So Polly has to wait until his 18th birthday. And then Tommy goes, look, if you go there and you get mad, you're going to scare him away. Um, And his mom is going to call the police and you'll never be with your son. But Polly is like hysterical, right? She wants to be with her son right now. So she pulls out a gun on Tommy. And then Tommy is pissed. He like slams his fist on the desk. He's like, you know what? This is why I'm not going to tell you where he is. And Polly's like, going to have to wait until he's 18. So Polly's pissed. She shoots the gun up at the ceiling and she storms out. So next we go to the grand reopening of the garrison. And it looks nice. It's gold and red velvet everywhere. Um, It's nice and posh. So the young Peaky boys are on the way, right? They're in the lane. Um, Finn, Isaiah, a few others, right? Um, and essentially, they they stop by to get Arthur, and um, he's just sitting there in front of the fire um, in the betting shop, um, looking real stupid, right? Looking real sad. And Arthur and Finn's like, "Why aren't you coming?" And Arthur's like, "Dude, get the fuck out, man. Tommy doesn't want me there." So then, now, Finn, you know, he takes off his hat. He pulls something out of his pocket. And he pours this white powder on the table. And he starts cutting it up with a blade from his hat. And Arthur's like, what is that? He's like, you know, we, we call this Tokyo. So, And it's cocaine. And you right away know that Arthur's drug of choice becomes cocaine. So Arthur's intrigued. And it becomes his drug of choice for pretty much the remainder of the show. So now he takes it, right? He takes a couple lines of coke. And he's ready. He's feeling himself. He's lively. He's got some pep in his step. He's like, all right, let's go. So he heads over to the party and he's having all the fun. He's pouring drinks for everyone. He's lighting people's cigarettes. And then everyone's like having fun, a fun time, right? Tommy looks at him right away and knows, look, hey, cocaine is for the races, my friend. Um, take it easy, right? Um, So Tommy kind of steps off into a silent room after that. He pulls out the letter from Grace. Uh, my voice cracks again. He pulls out the letter from Grace that he's kept in his pocket and he's thinking about her, right? The times that they made love, the times that he had with her, right? And he just takes out a match and he burns it. So Polly comes in and she's kind of stumbling. She's clearly turned, and she's dressed very fancy for this opening. Um, she sees Tommy but doesn't say a word to him. Um, and she's all over the garrison acting like a fool, laughing loudly, you know, flirting with other people, just trying to piss Tommy off, right? Um, Ada shows up. And Tommy says, look, dude, can you just go reason with Polly about the situation? Like, I'm just trying to be, like, cautious about it. I want her to see her son again. So Ada heads over to Polly to kind of talk to her. And Polly knows right away that Tommy asked Ada to come and speak to her. She goes, look, I don't want to talk to anyone about anything. I just want an address. So then Polly approaches one of the guests and says, hey, look, let's dance. And Tommy just can't have anyone hooking up with a head of the family without retaliation. And then Polly goes home with that guy and ends up having sex with them, right? So the next day, the next day, Polly heads over to the betting shop in the morning. It's a clear walk of shame. Her hair's all frizzed out, whatever. There's someone waiting in front of the, the betting shop looking for Elizabeth Gray. And it's Michael. It's her son, Michael. And I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck? Like, Imagine seeing your son after... 18 years and coming up on the situation hungover from like a one night stand and then trying to act like a mom you know what i mean very interesting and that's how the episode two ends so we jump into episode three and at the beginning of episode three something i don't really understand happens okay so there's these kids watching a play it's like a puppet play and there's a man standing at the back just like kind of watching and he's just smoking a cigarette And a man comes up behind him and chokes him out and kills him, right? And I I wanted to think it was the guy that Polly hooked up with the night before. But then you flash to a scene where Moss is discussing the murder with Campbell and says that one of the men who was killed was Irish. Now, the IRA are having an issue, and this is probably a legitimate fact, right? The IRA are having an issue because the King of England has offered them a peace treaty. Now, some of the Fenians are are um, in favor of that treaty, and others are not. And you will see, like I said, the historical setting of this show is is true for the m- most part, um, but the but the events, the storyline, is fictional to an extent. So, we flash to a scene where the Peaky Blinders are interviewing people at the garrison who need work. Now, a boy comes in looking real corny, right? He's got like a cowboy hat on. He's got this fake cowboy belt on and shit. He has no police record, right? He's an innocent young guy. And Tommy says, look, we can stand him up. Now, what that means is, so the home secretary is looking for results, right, on drugs and racketeering. So what they can do is have this guy as a first offender go and get, um, get arrested, Right, and so that way the cops can meet their quotas, right, and they can lay off the peaky blinders. Now back at the betting shop, Polly is in full mom mode. You can tell it's really unnatural for her. She's like cooking for Michael. She's making a sandwich. Um, she was never really a mom since her kid were, kids were taken from her so young. Um, and and Michael is trying to figure out what Polly does for a living, right? And she keeps kind of swerving that comment. Uh, she's asking him and he's just—he's like, are you a chef? She's like, nope, not a chef. Um, are you a teacher? Nope, not a teacher. So Arthur and John come in and they think that that's Polly's like boyfriend or something like that. And they're kind of giggling. And then Tommy introduces Michael as their cousin. They're right away like, oh, shit. So Arthur and John start teasing him. They're like, you know, we'll show you the ropes later. So then we flash to a scene where we meet Billy Kitchen. Now he's one of the Black Country boys, and this has all to do with the war, right? And you know, for those of you familiar with England, right? There's there's a Black Country, there's the um, you know, all these different soccer teams that are around there as well, right? Fulham, um, uh, Brighton, Hoalbian you know, there's 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 just there's different areas of of uh, England, and these little slang terms are associated with that region. So. Um, we we see that there's animosity even amongst english right they have their own little segregated ways even though they're all white people right um not to be ignorant but you know they're all from england but you know it's like in america right we just have there's different brands of people from different parts of the country anyway so tommy wants billy kitchen to be the head of a brigade right brigadier kitchen so You know, when they make their expansion to London, they're going to have like a a battalion of like 100 men that they want Billy Kitchen to lead. And um, they're going to help Alfie take control of London. Now, meanwhile, Michael catches Tommy heading out of the pub. But Michael needs to use the phone really quickly to call his adoptive mother and say, hey, look, I'm going to stay here in Birmingham for a couple more days. Now, Tommy wants Michael to go back home to his, you know, his adoptive mother. But Michael's like, I want to stay. Now Tommy goes, Hey, look, do you drink? Michael's like, Nope. Do you smoke? Michael's like, Nope. And essentially, what what this means to Tommy is that he's not ready for this Shelby lifestyle, right? This this, this we do bad things. Um, but Michael's insistent that he he's not gonna go home. And then finally, Michael tells his story. He's like, you know, in my village, there was this um there's this this is well. Made of pretty white bricks, and all the villagers talk about it. You know, it's such a pretty well. And but he's like, I swear to God, if I were to spend one more day in that village, I'm gonna blow up that well. I might even blow up my own hands in the process, but it'll be worth it to see all those pretty white bricks over the pretty white, pre, over the pretty green, right? So you can tell that he's a little crazy, kind of like his mom. <laughs> so in any case, we flash forward. Billy Kitchen and his gang they arrive in Camden Town. And they show up at Alfie's bakery ready to be processed, right, given their um, remit and what they're supposed to be doing here. So they come down, um, and they have permits saying they're bakers looking for work in London. And there's a debrief with all the men. Tommy and Alfie are speaking to them, giving them their instructions, and they have a piece of paper proving why they're here in London. Now, I think it's interesting that everyone was expected to keep a piece of paper on them at at all times, because if you think about the conditions out there, um... Having a piece of paper, that shit could get lost very quickly. Whatever. So Tommy goes, at the end of his little brief, he goes, hey, look, any questions? Now, one man makes a joke. Um, Essentially, um, you know, they refer to the the rum and the, the liquor as bread. And he goes, look, I haven't even seen any bread. And everyone's ha, 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 but Alfie's not. So Alfie walks up to him very scarily. It's very silent. Alfie pulls out his cane and knocks out the guy next to him. And he goes, you know, he'll wake up without his teeth, probably. But the last thing he'll remember is your funny little joke, won't he? And that was a very, very, very harsh scene to watch, right? Because you can tell Alfie fucked that guy up. Now, afterwards, Tommy heads over to meet Ada. And Ada's still pretty ashamed of Tommy and his behavior. And they're still kind of like, you know, riffing. There's a lot of tension between them, too. So Ada says, there's always men outside my house, you know, just kind of watching the house. Um, and Tommy says, look, they're there to keep you safe. And then Ada goes, no, no, they, they kind of look more like, like coppers. Um, in any case, Tommy leaves. And meanwhile, Polly and Michael go to her house, that big house. She has to spend some time together. And now Polly has a maid, right? So Polly's like, oh, look, there's a bell here. And she rings a bell and the maid comes and Polly just stares at her. And what this essentially represents that Polly's not used to telling people what to do or having a maid right? And then Michael goes, I-, I think we'd like some tea. And then he looks at her and goes, you'll get used to it. So back at the garrison, um, Arthur's starting his day off, right? With, the, with some cocaine and some whiskey, you know, a balanced breakfast. So he unlocks the pub and a lady walks in and he goes, look, you know, the vacancy has been filled. Um, the clerical job is you know, has, has been filled. Please leave. And she pulls out a gun. She points it at him. She's hysterical. And you find out that it's the mother of the boy who Arthur beat to death earlier in the season. And Arthur, right away, you know, a theme of the blinders. He's like, if you're going to use that thing, point it at my head. Don't don't shoot me in the gut. And she's kind of surprised by this. Because you realize at this point that, like, death would be like a kindness to Arthur, right? He's really fucked up in the head. So he's screaming. He's like, do it, do it, do it. He's screaming. And, and she's surprised, Right. And she shoots the gun. She misses. And um, Arthur grabs a gun from her and pours her a drink. Right? He says, look, we got a fund for you. You'll get paid every week. You'll never have to work again. I know you have other sons. We'll find them work. And she flips the table. She's like, dude, somebody has to stop you people. Right? And another symbol that everything has a price to the Peaky Blinders. So, um... We go back to a scene where Tommy's having a conversation with Charlie. Um, They're shipping all these car parts and whiskey. And Charlie's like, dude, it's not even fun anymore, man. It's just work. And now you can see another gypsy tendency, right? So they used to do a lot of illegal work. And it was fun kind of being under the radar and, you know, playing with fire. But now that he has like this import-export license, he has stable work, right? There's no need for anything illegal. And you don't need to feud with anybody else. And, and this is the main issue that the blinders have about going legit, right? That means they just have to behave themselves. And then Charlie goes, you're driving all these cars these days, man. When's the last time you ride a horse? Um, Tommy walks off. So all the while, Inspector Campbell is checking into new lodgings. And the woman who runs the place is kind of hitting on him. And he doesn't really you know, understand why. Maybe he thinks he's hot shit, right? But then Tommy drops in on Inspector Campbell and he lets him know that the place he's staying in is that the the Birmingham police selected for him is actually a brothel. And they're playing a joke on him, right? Because you, you remember in the last season when he went to that brothel and kind of um, he, he he was overly aggressive with that Asian girl and she came out with like blood and scars on her, right? So then all the while, the kid that Tommy and the blinders are standing up has been caught up by the police and he's going to be processed processed, and taken in for a quick stint in prison. So Sabini meets with his right-hand man, who is supposed to be um, pursuing Tommy Shelby to kill him. And he, the hitman goes, dude, Tommy Shelby is not easy to get at. He has a, like an army around him. And then he says, when Tommy is away from his familiar territory, I will take him. So meanwhile, the hitman says, okay, what should we do with the kid that Tommy Shelby is standing up in jail? Um, He's like, we should kill him and send a, uh, a message to the blinders. And what should, what's unfortunate about that is the kid is not even a real Peaky Blinder. He just is, is looking for work. So back at the brothel, Inspector Campbell is telling the lady who owns the house to take off her clothes. And he throws some coins on the bed. And he just wants to see if what Tommy was saying is actually true. Um, it's true. And he's like, I know what's happening here. Um, and she kind of runs out of the room. So Harold Hancocks is the name of the kid that Tommy's standing up. And he's in, he's like a little boy in prison, right? He look, he's just like is all cold and a few men come in and they start beating the shit out of him. And they end up cutting Hancocks' throat and they say, by order of Sabini. So Tommy calls a family meeting. Um, Polly has to come back from her holiday with Michael. And Tommy tells everyone that one of their men had their throat cut. And he says, you know, if our men think that we can't protect them, they're not going to work for us. So he tells a few of his men to get thrown into jail and find out what happened, right, and square that shit out. So another reason that Tommy calls this meeting is he needs to ask Polly's permission as treasurer of the company to spend a bunch of money on a horse. Now, he needs this horse, so when he makes his move on Sabini, he can be... In the enclosure with the bosses, right. So if he has a horse that's racing at a Derby, he can sit in the owner's enclosure where Derby Sabini is going to be, and it gives him access to the bookies on the tracks. So um, they they want to make their move at Epsom, which is a, the lar- one of the largest races in England, right. And he goes, if we're going to take them down, we might as well make it there as a symbol, right. So all the while, while this conversation is having. Michael is peeking in from another room and he walks in. He's like, I want to go with them to this like horse auction. And Polly is straight up like, hell no about it. Right. And he goes, I want to go mom. And it's the first time you hear him call her mom. And you can tell it, it kind of cuts right through her. So the boys are all saying, Hey, look, you know, Tommy's like, we'll bring him back on time. John's like, no worries. Nothing will happen. Um, And Polly says, no. So then John pulls Polly aside and he goes, look, when I was Michael's age, I had killed a hundred men and seen a thousand die. And if you want to scare him off, keep doing what you're doing. But if you want him to stay, let him come. Now, naturally, Polly lets Michael go. You know, that's what a mom does. And she's making sandwiches and tea for the trip, some shit that Polly would never do. So when they go on this trip to the, the horse auction, Arthur looks at the tea and the sandwich. He's like, what the fuck is this? A picnic? He's like, Polly made these sandwiches? Um, and they're laughing. They're like, what, what is this? Right. We don't know this type of poly or this version of poly. So in any case, they arrive at the betting facility and, and Curly, you know, Curly says he has a bad feeling about it. There's something in his gut that's telling him, you know, um, we shouldn't be here. And here's where we meet May Carlton for the first time. And I love May. She is like the best chick in the show, way better than, um, Grace or any of the other girls that Tommy fucks around with. Um, May is a real one. Right. And she's rich. She got her own thing. She doesn't. She's richer than Tommy even, probably. Um, And you can tell when all these gangsters walk in, Tommy and his crew, she's kind of like, ooh, you know, she's like a little turned on by this. Um, So Tommy Tommy's horse comes up and they start aggressively betting against each other. Tommy and May, Tommy and May, Tommy and May. And Tommy ends up paying a thousand more guineas and he ended up wanting to spend. Right. But May's like all turned on by this back and forth. She approaches him after the race, and she starts uh, chatting it up with him, right? And, you know, Tommy has his bad boy swag about him. And she's talking to him. She says, you know, um, she asks, like, what do you do? And he's like, you know, I do bad things. But you already know that. And then what she ends up asking is, hey, look, let me train your horse. Um, and after this, um, they go to leave uh, the the horse auction. And Sabini's right-hand man is sitting there and about to kill Tommy. And, um Mind you, Michael is with them and they promised that nothing would happen. So Arthur ends up catching the guy's hand before he can fire the bullet and he starts going to town on him, right? Just whooping his ass. And Tommy pushes Michael back. He's like, don't get blood on the kid. He asked Michael to hand over the keys, right? Like, we gotta go. And Michael's like, I'm good to drive. And you can tell right away that Michael likes this life, right? He's interested in it. And another thing is the whole squad has to pull Arthur off this guy. Arthur goes into that rage, but I wonder why they actually pull him off, right? Maybe there's some some chivalry between gangs like you know, if you you know if a killing doesn't work out, you kind of like let the guy like go or something like that. whatever. If someone tried to kill me and I like kind of caught them in the act, um, I would not you know be chivalrous in that moment, right? You were trying to kill me. So anyway, that that all wraps up. Polly's at home anxiously waiting. Um, She asks how it went. Michael says it was super, right? And then season three ends, or episode three ends with Arthur. He's all bloodied back home. You can tell he's just traumatized by that episode he had. And he's got this devil inside of him. And he can't cope with it, right? So that ends uh, episode three. We jump into episode four. Um, It starts with the, the funeral of Harold Hancock's the boy that was killed in prison by Sabini's men. So Tommy approaches the funeral, and the mom just starts hitting him, starts slapping him in the face, and Tommy just takes it, right? He takes it without emotion. He understands. He gets it. But he hands another lady uh, an envelope full of money, and she takes it. And, you know, for me personally, this type of life would weigh down on me heavily, right? Lives are not expendable like Tommy thinks they are, but he somehow is able to rationalize it. So we flash forward to a meeting with Inspector Campbell, and and Tommy shows up to this meeting. And he's very, and Inspector Campbell is very smug. He's like, "I might, you might think that it's a peculiar place that I I selected this area to meet in, but the surprises have just begun." And it's like, "All right, who the fuck are you, Willy Wonka, my dude?" So in any case, um, Tommy enters the room, and the lady and the man from the first episode are there, right? The one who ordered Tommy to kill that blacksmith. Now, Tommy is astonished. He's like, wait, the IRA and the British Crown are working together? Right away, he comes with the sarcastic shit, right? Um, He's pushing everyone's buttons. Um, Now, what Tommy actually did was that killing um, was a killing carried out for the pro-treaty IRA Fenians. And now Tommy has another assignment to kill someone. They choose Tommy because if he gets caught, it'll be seen as a criminal killing and not a political one. Now Tommy says, "Look, yo, I refuse. Um, I'm gonna walk out of the, and I'm gonna walk out right now. Later." Now all the while, Inspector Campbell is like, "Look, you won't, you won't be in any trouble for this killing." Now we know Inspector Campbell's full of shit because of that guy who we told the same thing who was hung. Now Tommy tells Campbell that the guy in that room is a spy, right? And if Inspector Campbell has him killed, Tommy will do the killing that he's assigned. Now he flashed to a scene where Arthur and Billy Kitchen are talking. Um, Arthur hands one of the coppers a stack of money, probably to keep them out of what they're about to do next. So Arthur, uh, Billy Kitchen, a huge squad of the Peaky Blinders, they approach Sabini's club. They walk in, start beating everyone's ass, right? They're just on a rampage. They take over the club. It's a piggy blinder club now. They take over it. Arthur's right away doing cocaine, having sex with a couple girls in a bathtub and shit, just doing his thing. Now, back at the garrison, a man is shoveling coals, and he digs out the head of the spy that Tommy called out. Inspector Campbell had him killed. Now, we flash to a scene where Tommy is in his office, and Lizzie comes in, She said, look, someone's here about the position for accounts clerk or something like that, right? Tommy's pouring himself a glass of of scotch, um, and he's lighting a cigarette, and when he looks up, it's Michael. And right away, Tommy says, look, dude, the vacancy's filled, man. Um, Nope. And Michael knows that Tommy needs someone who can look the other way at times, just like he did with Lizzie. Because when respectable men see the things that Tommy does, they leave. But Tommy wants to—I mean, Michael wants— to help the business become legal. So he wants to do the right thing. He wants to be proud of the Shelby family. Now Tommy hands Michael the phone and says, look, call your mother. She says you're good and we're good to go. Now back at the betting shop, May and Tommy are supposed to meet for May to pick up his horse. Now it's a bit funny that Tommy gave her the address and not the to the betting shop and not the office that he has now. But what you find out is May actually asked for this. She wanted to see the betting shop. She's kind of you know she's turned on by this off-track business, um, and she wanted to see it. Now Tommy shows up to the betting shop and May looks around at the offices and the betting tape and whatnot. And May goes, "What about the police?" And Tommy goes, "What about them?" And she goes, "You know, when I came into Small Heath, I thought I was going to get shot, and then I mentioned Tommy's name, and it was like being escorted to see a king." And like I said, you can tell May is thirsting for Tommy. Now, since May can't take her, take the horse in her car, they have to wait for a boxcar to come. So May and Tommy go to the garrison for a drink. Now, they're pouring. (laughs) So this is a funny scene. You can tell that Tommy is still like a simpleton at heart. Now, um, you know, Tommy drinks scotch straight. And she goes, he goes, hey, what are you drinking? She goes, you know, it's really early, but uh, I guess I'll have some gin. So Tommy pours her a full glass of gin, and she's like, "Okay." And um, like you can tell, Tommy doesn't have the polish of like a high class person, right? So she goes, "Um, can I have it with something?" And then he looks at her, all confused. He's like, "Like what? You know?" So you can tell he doesn't—he's not a fancy guy by any means. So then, while they're drinking, Tommy asks May a direct question. He goes. Do you want to fuck me, Miss Carlton? Perhaps because I represent something to you. And she goes, nope, I have a horse. I mean, you have a horse, and that is the only reason why I'm here. Tommy says, all right, good, let's have a toast then. And that's a really direct statement from Tommy, right? Um, He says, you know, I say that to women when I don't know what they want. Um, And if they don't want to have sex, then life is simpler. Um, May asked Tommy, hey, look, we don't have a name for your horse. What What should we call her? And then Tommy says, let's call it Grace's secret, right? And obviously that's like a a dig at Inspector Campbell for something later to come. Now we flash to a scene where Polly and Tommy are talking about Michael's potential employment at the company, right? Tommy's like, oh, we have another candidate lined up. Don't worry. He's more qualified than Michael anyway. And he's doing this to piss off Polly, right? Um, So she'll suggest that Michael be part of the company. But Michael's also threatened to leave if Polly says, you know, you can't work for the company. Um, So you find out, right, Tommy is enticing her. He's inciting her. He wants Michael to work for the company. And he says, look, I'll keep Michael away from the old business, the off-track business. And I'll keep him focused on the the legitimate business. So back at the garrison, um, the boys are celebrating Michael's 18th birthday and his new job opportunity with the company. So... Tommy hosts a meeting with Arthur, John, and Polly. Um, He pours them some whiskey. He asks them to try it. And Arthur goes, hmm, this is good stuff. It's almost too good for the garrison. And Tommy says, okay, now that we have a secure warehouse in Camden Town and that import-export license from Churchill, we're going to be shipping some auto parts um, and motorcycle parts to Nova Scotia where there's prohibition. And people will pay top dollar for real liquor. And now since he has this license from the Crown, his boxes won't be checked. So there's going to be a uh, motorcycle parts shipped, but in the casing is going to be a single malt whiskey. Now at the dock where you know these, these goods are being shipped in London, Johnny Dogs is overseeing it, and Tommy's having a conversation with him. He's saying, hey, look, um, faith and family is a great thing, isn't it, Johnny? Um, and if um, one of the boxes went missing... I wouldn't even be counting. But if two boxes go missing, then that's tax, and we don't pay tax. Now Johnny Dogs gets the message that if he fucks around with Tommy's shit, it's going to be a problem, and you can feel those chills running through Johnny Dogs. So now Tommy visits the club where Arthur is, right? He's overseeing the eating club in London now, and Arthur is straight up having sex with a girl in the lobby. And you know, once that's over, Tommy's looking at the... um, the, the books, right, the accounting records of the eating club, he he notices that there's a lar- large amount of money being dedicated to olives, right? 600 pounds, um, like, you know, English currency um, on olives. And it turns out it's cocaine money. And Tommy says, look, we don't sell direct. The dealers sell it. We take a cut. The home secretary is cracking down on drugs. We don't want that to fuck everything else up. Now, Tommy says, look, I put you down here because people are scared of you, but if you can't handle it, it'll be John's turn in London. So now Tommy goes and scopes out the house of the man he's supposed to kill, right? There's coppers all over it protecting the house. And within a few seconds of him just pulling up to the house, a cop approaches and tells him to move along. Then Tommy goes to visit Ada and a man actually opens the door and you can tell that Tommy's pissed. He's wondering who this man is. Now you find out that the man is gay and then Tommy's apologetic, shakes the man's hand, right? No animosity towards homosexuals. Um, Tommy, Tommy tells her that um, I'm getting my affairs in order in the event that something happens to me, right? He's putting John's kids and Ada's kids in his will and the money will be transferred in the event of his death. Now, back at the at the distillery, Sabini shows up looking for a parlay, right? Um, Sabini's asking all these questions about if Alfie knew they were going to take over the Eden Club and the different racetracks they took over. But Alfie just interested in why Sabini's there, right? He has the upper hand. Now, Alfie says, you know, all the time you were talking about dirty fucking Jews and dirty kikes and making all these terrible jokes about the Jewish people. And Alfie says you know, not one of my bookies got to go to the Epsom races. Sabini always kept them out. Now Sabini says he's sorry about the Jew thing. And you can tell it's very tough for Sabini to say sorry. Now they're making a truce. You know, Alfie's bookies can go back to work the Epsom races. They're coming to a compromise. They're discussing the border between the Jews and the Italians being extended um, in the Jews' favor. But in any case, the final thing they write down is peace between the Jews and the Italians and war against the gypsies. Now you can tell this is a theme of Alfie Solomon's. He's not loyal to anyone, right? He's very um, maniacal, very conniving. Now we flash to a scene where Tommy's headed over to Mae Carlton's house to check out the horse, and she has a dope-ass estate. Um, it's crazy bougie, um, and he stops for a second before he pulls up and he's like, God damn. So he comes in and he's taking in the elegance of the manor. And Tommy and May are discussing the horse, reading the progress report. And May is constantly making sure that Tommy's glass is full, right? Asking if he needs something to eat. Um, but Tommy does this interesting little thing here. He asks May if she has engine oil because he says the car is going to need some engine oil before I go back. And then May starts finding all these reasons for him to stay, right? And Tommy's doing everything, um, to, but, but explicitly making her say um, that she wants him to stay, right? He's like, you have motor oil and I have a car, but it, you, you, are, you, you know, you're kinda like, are you saying you want me to stay? So anyway, she starts crying and he's, he realized he was being a dick. And then he goes, look, I'll stay in your guest wing. But in the middle of the night, I'm going to come to you and come to your room and not even make the slightest of sounds. She goes. The chambermaids are going to listen in. If they know a man is in the house, they will listen. And Tommy goes, "Well, let them listen." I'm um, showing you that, right? There's freedom in not caring about what what others think. She owns the house. Those maids work for her. Why? Why the fuck does she need to be like scared about what they think? So anyway, we flash to a scene where Isaiah and uh, Michael are in the office, and Isaiah is trying to convince Michael to go have a drink with him. He's like, "Dude." The BSA secretaries they go out on their own now, right? Which is, you know, before a man had to accompany a woman. Women didn't have many rights, so they go to the Marquis Pub, and right away they start getting eyed. One man gets up, he goes, "Look, dude, I don't drink with blacks," and he starts fucking with Isaiah right away. And Isaiah's not gonna back down. He gets in this guy's face, um, and the guy's being a dick, so he throw the guy throws a punch at Isaiah, and Michael gets hit. And right away, the bartender is super scared. He's like, that's Polly Shelby's son. Are you fucking mental? And immediately, as soon as they hear that, they back off. They're like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, you know, after that interaction, the two of them go, they go to the garrison and they see Arthur and John. And Arthur goes, look, have you guys been fighting? And Michael tells him the story of what happened, not knowing what's about to happen, so as soon as that happens, John and Arthur get up, and they head over to the Marquis, and they they essentially you know they burn it down. They take care of those guys who fought with uh, Michael and Isaiah, and essentially, they can't really let people start fucking with them, right? They can't show any weakness. Now it's the end of the episode, and May is nervously walking around her room back at the manor, and Tommy enters, and right away they start going at it, and all the while Arthur and John are burning down the Marquis pub. They're pouring gas everywhere taking the money out of the register. And there's one last scene at the end of episode four. So Tommy approaches Inspector Campbell at a meeting place, an empty church. Inspector Campbell says, the date at which you have to kill this man has been set. Tommy goes, look, there's coppers all over the house. I can't do anything. And then Tommy goes, what if a copper gets killed? And then Inspector Campbell says, I give you my word that nothing will happen to you. And Tommy clearly doesn't trust Inspector Campbell's word. Now, Tommy tells Inspector Campbell, he goes, look, I've been settling my affairs in the event of my death. And he looks to Inspector Campbell directly in the eye and he goes, um, if I die, like you will die. Know that. And that puts a little bit of tension, seriousness into Inspector Campbell's tone of sarcasm, right? Tommy goes back to his office and he makes a call to London. Um, he's calling Grace because she's staying there. Now, a man picks up and he immediately hangs up. But you look, you pan over to Grace's face and she knows that it might be Tommy. And the episode ends. Alrighty. Two more episodes here. So we go to episode 5. Now, the start of episode 5 um, kicks off with Alfred bringing a goat into his distillery. Right? Probably for sacrificing during Passover. And Sabini is with his men in his restaurant. They're They're having a little ice cream. He drops a glass bowl on the ground and says, for luck. Um, And they're all like, you know, they're polishing their guns off. They're, you know, loading up, ready to go. Now, Arthur and Billy Kitchen, they show up to Alfie's distillery. Inspector Campbell and Moss, they're outside of Polly's house waiting as well. Now, back at the distillery, Alfie is explaining what Passover is all about. And Billy Kitchen notices that the doors are being locked and says, dude, something's not right. And Arthur and Alfie both calm Billy down. Now Alfie continues his story. You know, he talks about pharaohs and how they oppressed the Jewish people. He talks about Seder, um, when the Jewish angels came down and decided that, you know, oppression can no longer be tolerated. Um, And then he goes, in order for the Jewish people to make it right with God to kill a king, they had to carry out the Corban Pesach. And that's the sacrificing of the Passover goat. Now this year... Abby says, we named the goat. And Arthur goes, well, what'd you name it? And he says, I named it Tommy Shelby. And Arthur jumps up. Someone restrains him. Someone shoots Billy Kitchen right in the head. Um, and there's a bunch of bullshit going on. At the same time, all of Sabini's men storm the Eden Club. Um, they, they're cutting all of the, the Peaky Blinders in the face. Um, and they, they send them on their way. Um, at the distillery, the doors open. Um, They let the police in. They blame everything on Arthur, right? They said, look, he had like a coked out rage. Um, He killed Billy Kitchen. um, And the police take him away. Now back at Polly's house, the police take Michael into custody as well. Um, And all the while, Tommy is still at May's estate. Now Tommy and May are walking. She stops. She grabs his hand. She gives him a kiss. You know, she's acting bold and fearless, right? She doesn't care. Essentially, Tommy makes her feel alive, right? Now, they head back to the estate, and Tommy has a call waiting for him, and he gets the news of all the shit that's just popped off, and then we flash to a scene where he's back at the church with Inspector Campbell, and Tommy's pissed. He's like, what the fuck? We had a deal, man, and Inspector Campbell was like, you know what? I just needed, I knew that you didn't care about life or death, but now I have the control over your family's life, um, and I need that to ensure that you will go through with the killing. Now, Tommy's pissed of this meeting. He goes back to his office. He gets a call from Grace, which is the last thing he needs right now. Um, too much for him to process, right? Grace is like, dude, can we meet? Tommy's like, we can meet. I just have a couple things to do first. Now, there's a family meeting with the remaining family members who are not in jail, right? John, Polly, Esme, and Tommy. John is giving them all the details, right? They've taken all the whiskey. They've taken all the pubs, handed them back to Sabini and Alfie. The black country boys think that it was Arthur who killed Billy Kitchen, so there's no more free passage for their boats. And all the while, Polly is frantic about getting Michael out of jail. Now, Esme spoke to Johnny Dogs, and she said, hey, look, the Lees can give them men because they're kin, right? Because John is married to Esme. Tommy's going to take them up on their offer. And that is a trigger point for Polly. She's like, if Michael gets out of prison, I'm going to take him away from his family for good. And Polly does that a lot. Now, John goes to get the car around, and Esme and Tommy are talking for a second. She tells Tommy that, hey, look, your gypsy side is the stronger side. And he says there's time to ride away, live the gypsy life, and get lost, as they put it. Now, Tommy grabs Esme by the face and goes, if you ever mention getting lost again, I will cut you from this family. Now, back at the police station, Polly shows up to see Inspector Campbell. She's desperate to get her son back, Right. And Inspector Campbell was kind of flirting with her in this weird, douchey way. Um, very creepy old man-like, right? And he points to a form. He goes, look, if I sign this, Michael will be released in the morning. And Polly looks at it. She goes, all right, sign it. And Polly and Inspector cl- claps back. She goes, sign it, Mr. Campbell, please, sir. And he wants Polly to be submissive to him, right? He kind of gets off on that thing. Now, Inspector Campbell puts his hand on her shoulders and starts taking off her clothes. And you can tell she's getting rigid and uncomfortable. Now, she pulls back and she asks him to sign it. And he goes, look, I'll sign it once we're finished with this. And he wants her to cry, which is really weird. Why would you want someone to cry while you're, you know, having sex with them? But anyway, she starts to act all numb, right? She's like, "Uh," she has no emotion. She's like, "Uh, do do you want it on the table, sir? Do you want it over here, sir? And he slaps the shit out of her, right? he tells her to get out. So then she gets desperate and she starts crying. And, you know, they, they end up, you know, having sex or whatever. And after this, Polly is, they flash to a scene where Polly's in this, she's taking a bath in her tub at home. And she just looks like, you know, beat up. Ada comes in and starts talking to Polly. And she's like, you know, we found a lawyer who will take Arthur's case. So we don't need Tommy anymore. And Polly's like, right, you know what, Ada, we, we need Tommy, right? So. The next morning, Polly shows up to the prison, and Michael's freed, right? He has cuts and bruises all over his face. Um, And, you know, he goes, "Um, I know the guards told me, you know, what you did to get me free. And he's like, you know, the guards thought it was funny. And he goes, you know what? Maybe it is. And he hates that his mom did that to get him freed. So in any case, back at the shipyard, Curly's shoveling some shit from the horse's pen, right, the stables. And Tommy shows up, takes off his jacket, and starts shoveling shit. And then Curly says, why are you doing that? And Tommy goes, to remind myself what I would be if I wasn't who I am. Which is kind of bogus to Curly, right? Because he's the one doing that every day. But um, just to kind of humble Tommy, right? So Tommy heads to London um, where he goes on a date with Grace. You know, she's getting ready as, as, as he approaches. And it's interesting to me that his whole family is all in disarray right now. And he's going on a date. But in any case... As she's getting ready to go meet Tommy, her husband is asking her what's up. And she says, you know, um, I'll be back before midnight. And he goes, I'll stay up for you, right? So Grace and Tommy are in the house now. Um, They meet up. They start chatting. Now, Grace, she's like, I see Vans with the Shelby name on it down at the docks. And right away, Tommy says that he goes, look, I lit a fire in the upstairs room. I plan to have a few whiskeys, talk about old times, and then we'll go upstairs and fuck. And he says, "You know what? I actually changed my mind. I don't want to do that." And Grace makes it goes. What makes you think I would sleep with you um, after a couple of whiskeys, right? And Tommy's pulling the same shit that he pulled with May, right? He's trying to figure out what she's there for, um, so we can get that out of the way. He's trying to push her to leave, right? So then, um, he she he he's like, "You know what? I understand. You're in love with your husband. You don't like me anymore. Um, so." I didn't really like the fire in the room. Now he's like, I want to take you out. I want to show you um, how far I've risen in the world. He takes her to a party where they meet Charlie Chaplin. Um, And all the while, Tommy calls Inspector Campbell and he goes, I know, you know, my sister's address in London. Tonight, your men will see me come back with a woman. Um, She'll close the curtains. He's like, can you guess who that woman is? And he's pissed. Inspector Campbell's pissed. He's like, you liar, right? Right. Right away, Tommy is playing with fire again. Now back at the house, Tommy and Grace are about to get it in. Grace is asking if Tommy has anyone. He says, I have a racehorse, and she's going to win the derby. So now after they're all finished up doing their thing, Tommy and Grace are getting dressed, and you can tell that Grace is feeling a little bit of resentment, or not resentment, regret. Now Tommy asks her when she's going to sail back to New York or wherever she's at. And he goes, she goes, I haven't booked a return ticket. And it turns out that Grace has been trying to get pregnant, but it hasn't worked with her current husband, so they're in England doing some tests. Now Tommy starts to get suspicious of that and asks why she came to him this night. But right away, Grace tells him that the doctor thinks it's Grace who's at fault. And Tommy's sympathetic, and he's like, it's nobody's fault. And he asks her to see her again, and he asks her if she's still working undercover, and she slaps him. So back at the Winston Green, now Arthur's in jail, right? He comes out in chains. John's there to see him. Um, and Arthur's repenting. He's like, dude, I've been an idiot. I, I, I used to be good at drawing. I, sh- I should have paid more attention in class. And John is like, Tommy has a plan. And Arthur thinks it's full of shit. And I can't really blame that on him because he's in prison right now, right? I'd be pissed too. Now John says, Tommy's already told me what I have to do. So what John does is he goes and puts a bomb in the sergeant's mailbox that Tommy is supposed to kill. Now what that does is make that guy untouchable, right? Now there's 24-hour surveillance on this guy, and Tommy will have to kill him in another place. He's going to kill him at Epsom. So Tommy heads back over to Mesa State, and you can tell she's fallen for him at this point. She's really excited to see him. And Tommy goes, look, we, we can't do this anymore. can't go further. And she's immediately like, why? And he goes, "There's someone," and I'm assuming he means Grace. And he says he doesn't want her. He doesn't want May thinking about you know how it's going to be after the race and whatnot. And then right away, May starts acting like his vendor again. Right? She's very formal. Um, and May says, "Look, you can leave," but Tommy comes back around, and you can tell May is a strong, independent woman. She's a match for him, which is why I think he doesn't actually end up with her. Right? Um, he he needs someone like Grace, who's a little bit more reliant on him and whatnot. Um, so anyway, back at his office, Inspector Campbell's waiting for Tommy. Now, Campbell is trying to open the drawers in Tommy's office to see what's in there. But everything's locked up, right? Tommy's very um, untrusting. And as he's doing this, Tommy walks in. Um, and he's kind of like, oh, this motherfucker. So Inspector Campbell confronts Tommy about what happened at the sergeant's house. And Tommy's like, I'll do your fucking killing. Don't worry about it. And then Tommy tells um, Campbell that he is going to kill him on Darby Day, right? Epsom. Now, we lead into our final episode here, episode six. All righty. So we're, we're at the final season um, or episode of season two, and it's Darby Day. The long-awaited day is here. Now, it starts with a letter that Tommy is writing stating that, hey, look, um, Today I'm going to kill a man. Um, I'm being forced by an agent of the Crown to commit this murder. Um, If I die, I want the following information known. He says, my family's not involved. He lists out Inspector Campbell as an agent. Um, And he says, the shot that I fire will be the start of civil war in Ireland. Um, And he's like, the guy I'm going to kill, I have no sympathies at the thought of his death. And when they pan to this guy, he's like a kind of a deranged guy. Like he has weird sexual habits and he's just kind of a douche. Right. So Tommy's like, I don't care about this guy's death. Um, so after he goes through this contents, he addresses the, the letter to New York and he tells Ada, he says, look, if if anything happens to me today, post this letter um, and he hands her the letter. And right away, the homosexual guy that's renting a room, from Ada comes with him and they put on their jackets. And Ada's like, what the fuck is going on? Ada's frustrated, right? She's like, dude, where are you going with this guy, right? And Tommy only tells her, he's like, all he has to do is just stand there. And Ada tells that guy, he's like, dude, Tommy's going to get you killed. So in any case, um, we flash to a scene. Arthur's being released from jail. Um, but So so what happens is Arthur thinks he's about to get hanged. So he puts this like fork behind his back. But then the warden says, look, dude, you're getting out. And apparently all 10 witnesses withdrew their statements against Arthur all at once. Now, all the while, Tommy and and that that homosexual guy are approaching Alfie's distillery. Now, Ollie, like um, Alfie's right-hand man, says, look, only you can come inside, Tommy. Tell the other guy to wait outside. Now, Tommy enters, but he stops to tie his shoe by one of the rum barrels, right? And you think nothing of it at the time. But you realize Stephen Knight, the director, is really not going to insert any irrelevant details in the story Like at this point. So Arthur gets out of jail. Johnny Doggs picks him up. He makes a call to um, Alfie's office where Tommy's sitting. Right? Tommy's like, dude, you got out. I'll see you soon. So Tom- Alfie ended up getting him out. Now Tommy has a proposal for Alfie. He provides him with that import-export license that Winston Churchill gave him. And he's like, dude, you can put your booze in my crates. Now, Alfie still has something to discuss. So the contract that Tommy and Alfie agreed upon says that 20% of the take goes to Alfie. But Alfie has another contract written up that says 100% of the business will go to Alfie. And Tommy's like, that's funny. Now at the same time, Ollie points a gun at Tommy, insinuating that, look, if you don't agree, Tommy, I'm about to shoot you. Now Tommy says, he goes, look, I have an associate waiting at the door who is an anarchist. And Tommy Tommy goes, look, I stopped to tie my shoelace. And he looks at Ollie to confirm. Tommy says, I laid a hand grenade on one of the barrels. And his friend upstairs has the trigger. Tommy pulls out the pin of the grenade from his pocket and puts it in Alfie's glass. So now the stare down begins, right? It's a chess game. They're feeling each other out to see who's bluffing. Now, Ollie the whole time is making the situation worse. He's nervous. Tommy says, you know, I blew up my own pub for the insurance, even though that didn't happen, right? Tommy does, Alfie doesn't know about that. Tommy's bluffing. He's playing with his whole life here. Now, Tommy tells Alfie about how he used the same kit in France to blow up Shorbin Ho. And I think that's how you pronounce it. So Alfie calls it 35%. They call it a deal. Tommy's out of there. And all the while, the guy's just outside smoking a cigarette. And the ball's on Tommy Shelby here, man. Like, he was just playing with his whole life, right? Ready to kill everyone in that room. Who knows? They don't actually show the grenade if he planted it or not. But this guy is smart. So now, back at the office, Michael and Polly are in an exchange. Polly puts a basket down. Um, She pulls out wads of cash. She's giving it to Michael. She says, leave town, and I'll visit you. Um, She doesn't want this life for Michael. And she knows what's about to happen today at Epsom, right? So we move to a scene where Inspector Campbell is approaching three men in an open field. Um, They are from the Ulster Volunteer Force. Now, I Google this, and the Ulster Volunteer Force was originally set up in 1913 to prevent any type of self-government for Ireland. And I, I don't know why. Um, they're part of the UK, but it was to really break up any type of um, self-governing initiative in Ireland. So now on the road to Epsom, Tommy stops to debrief the troops. He tells them what's about to happen. He said, don't fire a shot. So the plan is, he's going to get to Epsom. He's going to make some kind of commotion that's going to pull all the coppers off of Sabini's men. And what they're going to do is, the blinders are going to show up. They're going to take the betting licenses all the ticket, all the money, and they're going to burn the betting licenses because they'll have to reapply for those betting licenses and they won't be able to have any income, right? So in any case, Tommy meets May um, in the enclosure when he gets to the race, right? And he pulls her aside and he goes, May, you know, whatever happens today, it was good, right? You can tell he's kind of coming to terms with the fact that he might die today. Now, his mind is elsewhere, but he says, I'll come and find you after the race. Now, meanwhile... John and Arthur, they approach the betting shop at Epsom. They're putting some money down. Sabini enters with his posse and he has a group of coppers behind him as well. Now, the general, the man that Tommy's supposed to kill, has also arrived, and he's a sicko, right? Um, he is making his way out of the betting shop, and Tommy follows him into the enclosure, ready to kill him, right? Now, as he enters, of course, Grace comes up and fucks everything up. She shows up at the races and she pulls him aside and she says, Tommy, I'm pregnant and the baby's yours. And he's like, dude, tell tell your husband that he'll believe it. And then Tommy goes, I'll decide after the race what to do. And Grace goes, I love you. And I didn't want to lie to my husband. I told him. You know? And like I said, Grace is all full of shit, man. She's always fucking everything up, but whatever. Um, so Tommy needs a new plan now because his moment got away from him, right? When Grace showed up. Now what he he, he gets Lizzie, right? And they go into the enclosure, and the plan is for Lizzie to seduce this guy, isolate him, get him to the bathroom um, so, so they can have sex. And Tommy will get to her, right, and kill the guy. Now, Tommy promised her she wouldn't have to do this kind of work anymore once she became secretary. And you can tell she loves Tommy, too. But Tommy's mind is elsewhere. It's on the moment, right, just like it always is. Now, back on the tracks, the blinders are waiting for the coppers to leave, right, for this commotion that Tommy's supposed to cause. Um, that's gonna cause the the, the the policeman to leave. Now Lizzie gets the man to bite, right? And he and she fall, fo- and he follows her to the latrines. Now back at the bar, it's time for the races, and everyone disperses, and there's just two men left. There's Inspector Campbell and Tommy Shelby, and then, once again they're being a little sassy with each other. But Inspector Campbell brings up Grace, and he asks Tommy if the plan um, is them for them to stay together. And Tommy says, you know what? You said that men like us could never be loved, but Grace loves me. Um, And He's like, all you got was a fucking wolf head cane. Now, Inspector Campbell says, you know what? I have the certainty of salvation and the love of God. And Tommy approaches Campbell and says, I know what you did to Polly, she told me. And he goes, you know, at the end of today, it'll be me or you dead. But whoever it is, he will wake up in hell tomorrow. Now, this is a symbolic conversation. Right. Um, One of, you know, clergy and those who, you know, kind of have that faith, um, relying on that faith, even though they might be committing sin. Right. But then Tommy knows who he is. He understands that he doesn't abide by those principles um, and he knows who he is. Right. So some definite symbolism here. Now, the race begins. Tommy's off to perform his task. Back at the latrine, Lizzie's giggling with the sergeant. They're about to have sex, and he starts getting very rough with her. And Lizzie's like, let's slow down, let's slow down. And right away, he just kind of puts it in her, and they start, like, doing it. And this is messed up because Tommy said he would get to her before it started. So Tommy approaches the latrine, but there's guards now who won't let him in because they say the king is coming this way. So his plan's going a little bit astray, and he needs to get to Lizzie. So he goes around the other side. Now, at this point, the sergeant is pretty much raping Lizzie, and the tension is just rising in the scene. Tommy says, fuck it. He comes back to the entrance, and he knocks one of the guards out with the butt of his rifle. Um, he sees the sergeant, points his gut at him. The trigger pulls, but misfires, and now they're in a fistfight. So luckily, Tommy gets the upper hand, and the sergeant... Um, they're struggling for the gun, right? They're having this like little hodgepodge with their, with their hands. Now, Tommy somehow gets the gun to point at the, um, the sergeant, and he pulls a trigger, and the, the bullet goes through the lower jaw of the sergeant. He's dead. Now, it's always surprising to me how Tommy comes out in these exchanges, right? He's a small guy, but he always ends up winning, but I guess that's part of the show, right? So Tommy shoots the sergeant, and Lizzie's pissed, right? And she walks out. Tommy fires a few bullets in the air, and he leaves and goes to the guards. He's like, officers, officers, I was was taking a shit, and I heard some Irish voices. And the coppers start thinking the IRA are on the course. So every constable, every man in uniform is to get around the king, and Sabini's bookies are left alone because all of the coppers are gone. Now, this is when the Peaky Blinders make their move. They take all the betting licenses, they burn them, um, and take all the money from the bookies. Now, the reason this is so terrible is that Sabini's bookies are going to have to reapply, like I said, which will take time or even be denied. Now, Tommy meets Sabini in the owner's enclosure. And Sabini's like, I told you, um, I told the coppers that you're here, and they're going to come get you and throw you off the uh, the course. Now, Tommy says, you know, they're a bit busy right now protecting the king. And he tells Sabini of all the betting license that are being burned, And Sabini is pissed. And being the explosive guy that he is, he tries to pull out his gun. Now, Tommy reminds him. He's like, you are an Italian person here. If you pull out the gun, you are the king's assassin. So Sabini calms down. Um, but, you know, a few coppers come in. They take Tommy away. And you find out that these coppers are actually the Ulster Volunteer Force. They're just dressed as cops. Now, they take Tommy in this um, van. They take him away. All the while, Grace is waiting for Tommy at the bar. May shows up with her nice red dress on. May knows right away that Grace is waiting for Tommy as well. And she introduces herself. And they have some lady, you know, cattiness going on, whatever. And May is acting like she knows Tommy's plans for the future. And then Grace goes, There's business and then there's love. And May goes, Is there really with Tommy Shelby? And then Grace goes, "What do you want from Tommy?" And May says, "I want the same thing that you want. I want to feel alive." Now, all the while, Inspector Campbell's in the betting shop on the phone with Winston Churchill, and Polly enters the booth. Now, mind you, they are only slightly away from everybody else, and they're still in the middle of this bar. Polly pulls a gun out. She's bringing up all the small details of the time you know Campbell took advantage of her. Now, Inspector Campbell doesn't think that Polly's gonna shoot him in the middle of this this bar, but Polly says, Hey look, take a look around. Are there any cops here? They're all around the king, aren't they? So Campbell starts to like try to talk his way out of it. And he's like, you know, part of me wanted you during that and I know you wanted me and she's crying, you know, like but he's bullshitting. She fires the shot, she sits him down, and she says the classic phrase, don't fuck with the Piggy blinders. Now there's some symbolism as she walks out of the booth, right? She's wearing all white, with one blood stain on her jacket, right? So I'll just I'll let you guys think about that. Now, a few people find Inspector Campbell. He's shot. He's bent over. Now this motherfucker's dead. Thank God. Now May and Grace are left waiting um, because the Ulster Volunteer Force has taken Tommy, and even Arthur and John are celebrating um, because now they're the biggest racetrack owners in the country. Um, so all the while. Tommy's in the van and it finally stops. Now they're in a huge field and you can tell there's a hole dug for Tommy where they're going to bury him. Now the plan is to shoot him, bury him in the hole. It's on a farm, right? Some are very remote. So Tommy's slowly coming to terms with what's about to happen. He asked the men if they were in France during the war. They all were. So then Tommy asked for a cigarette, you know, enough time to make his peace. Now, what, what I find interesting is like, you know, these men die with quote unquote honor. They don't They don't cry, they don't run. And Tommy's reminiscing. He's like, I was so close, man. I nearly had everything. I had a woman that I love. Um, Now he made his peace, and he's like, let's get it over with. And he says, you know, a a phrase that I really love. He says, in the bleak midwinter, closes his eyes. But one of the other men shoots the other two men, and Tommy is literally in shock. The man says, Mr. Churchill has a job for you. He'll be in contact. Now get out of the hole and move along. Now think about for a second, if you had made peace with your death, right? And at the last minute, you were saved, right? Imagine how, I don't, I don't even know what would come over you, right? What type of euphoria would, would take over you, right? So Tommy walks out, and a few yards, he falls over and just starts screaming. And I cannot blame him for that. Then Tommy gets back to his office, and Michael's sleeping. And he didn't leave, Right? Um, and um, he sits down with Michael. They have a glass of scotch, and he says, "I have some plans for the future." And I'm like, "Motherfucker, you just almost died, and now you already are thinking about how to how to get more. You just became the biggest, almost one of the most richest men in England." PTSD, right, at its finest. The last thing he says is that I think I'm getting married, and that ends season two of Peaky Blinders. So I know these are some longer ones, but um, uh, that's what she said. I know these are some longer podcasts, but to anyone who's out there who's a Peaky Blinders fan, feel free to hit me up in the comments. Talk to me about it. I'd love to hop on a podcast with anyone who loves this show. Um, I've watched the seasons hundreds of times. um, So as you can see, I'm really, really excited about them. I love them. So, um, yeah, that's all I got for you guys today. Hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Feel free to leave me any feedback. And remember, only positivity. Thanks, guys.